Well, I think I've got it. Yeah. Oh, you're recording. Yeah. So many, so many, so many damn books. Hey everybody, I'm Christopher. Welcome to So Many Damn Books, a special tournament of books wrap-up edition. Drew and I are okay and coping, and we hope you folks are doing what you can for yourselves and for each other. Um, With everything going on this past March, the 2020 tournament of books was a welcome bedrock of normalcy, I'd say. And uh, emeritus tournament producer Nasli Samazadeh had Drew and I on her Zoom After Hours discussion show. Uh, and a crowd of Tournament of Books diehards uh, watched and joined in the discussion, and we thought it would serve as a nice episode of the show. So thanks for listening, and, you know, of course, I started the discussion by explaining the cocktail I was drinking. I'm going to talk about the cocktail again for a second. Yeah, 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 you should. Um, So the cocktail that I made because I wanted to make it like a rooster red. Um, so it's um, this liqueur that's made from figs that I bought at a green market in front of Drew's apartment, um, um, you know, back when we were allowed to visit each other. It also, and so it's got this fig flavor, but not really, and it tastes a little strange, but, um, but the minute you add any sort of citrus, it's really delicious. And so I've got um, lemon juice, uh, this uh, liqueur, um, Aperol, and uh, a little bit of green tea, simple syrup. And yeah, Zoom after hours. I mean, what a, that's a great, you, outside of context, I still think it's a good name for a, um, a cocktail. Hi everyone. Uh, welcome to the fifth and uh, fifth, fourth, Fourth, fourth and last of our Rooster After Hours Zoom chats on Sundays. Um, it's been really fun. Thank you to everyone who has joined us, especially people who have showed up week after week. Um, to recap, we had uh, Drew with Helen Rosner. We talked about Fleischman is in trouble versus normal people, uh, which turned out to have been a good choice. Uh, we had um, Christopher and Katie DiCibedo talking about um, overthrow versus um, trust exercise, which was a hoot. Um, and then we veered and became less topical, but more chatty, talking about um, Nothing to See Here with Megan Keynes um, and Jess Zimmerman. And now we have uh, Drew and Christopher back um, to wrap up the month and talk about um, the winner. And for me to just talk about Optic Nerve for an hour, because <laughs> we should have won. So yeah. So what a winner. Um, I. I was I was so surprised when first I guess to back up like I was kind of surprised when normal people made it into the final. I wasn't surprised <laughs> at all that it was a zombie. It felt very obvious as a zombie. I guess I I felt like for me it was only not obvious in the way that um several years ago I remember uh bring up the bodies lost in the first round and nobody had voted for it for zombie because everybody and in the comments everyone was freaking out they were like oh shit we thought our vote would be better cast somewhere else 
and it was that reveal of like, yeah, tactical voting does not work in the tournament. Normal people showing up in the final felt similar to me where it was like so easy to game the system and be like, oh, it'll never get there. And so I, I'm sure it's going to be like Lost Children Archive and something. And then to realize like, oh, right, of course, the most popular book on the bracket ended up in the final. That's not a totally surprising thing, but kind of only in retrospect. Yeah. I, I was surprised just because so much of this, like a book being involved in the tournament ends up being about hype or, or how people respond to hype sometimes, especially something like normal people where there were competing profiles of Sally Rooney out at one point. And that, you know, I think that that sets people up for a certain expectation about a book. And then normal people is uh, so much more intimate and smaller and more like jewel-like than I think all of that praise and excitement for it pointed to. Um, but then of course, you know, I think a satisfying story right now makes sense that that's what the tournament towards turned towards versus something that was a little more, um, not random, but uh, a little more of a, a, a I don't know. I, while I was reading Optic Nerve, I, I felt like I was just in the company of a really like the best stoner ever, you know, like, Oh yeah. Like, like you're I'll let your mind go and listen to you talk like that's you're really cool but you're definitely like you're following your own path it seemed like the people who voted for it were like I really enjoyed reading this thing I don't know anything about art but like that was weird and cool yeah. um and the people who voted for normal people maybe let themselves feel a little excluded by that um or at least like felt a little more comfortable with the the like kind of love story narrative thing you can kind of hold on to I feel like normal people is so such a novel of the body. Like there's so much body in it. And then optic nerve is really, I mean, of course it ends up being about um, illness, uh, but a lot of it is really of the mind of the journeys that minds can take. I mean, I love that sequence where he's like, you're going to not be able to follow me even in the virtual world down the street. Like you're going to stop and get, like that's what would happen on a real walk. I don't know. I I, I loved that. Yeah, there there was something that both Jess and Megan said last week, um, thinking about the final that that I had like in all the all these all these years following the tournament that I never thought about before was that they both described the decision they made in their judgment as feeling very heavy, that there was like a responsibility for you know moving one book forward, and mm -hmm. the decision they made in the final felt like well, I'm just one of 17 people, like, <laughs> good. like, I guess I can pick the thing I want. And like, it won't really, you know, like, I'm not as responsible. Um, and rereading the final judgments today, it did feel a little more like that. People were a little more comfortable being like, I don't feel like they, yeah, like, yeah, like Mrs. There's just saying, like, this is the one I want to win. I don't really feel like I have to fully justify that or, you know, feel bad about it. Um, and yeah, those are just two totally different ways of voting. Yeah. Well, and it's a reminder that different books can hit you differently at different times. Like, I can't stop thinking about the ways in which so many people around Optic Nerve were pointing out the sensation that it allows you to feel like you're going to a museum, particularly at a moment where none of us are able to go to a museum. And so if if the 
finals were happening, I don't know, this week, if voting was happening this week, the the razor's edge might go in just the other way Mm -hmm. that enough people would be like man i love normal people but like optic nerve did this thing for me right now and it seems like almost all of the decisions all they needed was like that one gust of wind to blow them in one direction or the other totally do you think that's partially true because they're both like short Mm. that that they can kind of I don't know, like, it, they, they don't need to hold their moods as long. That's totally fair. If, if Optic Nerve had had even one more story, I think I maybe would have, like, it, it would have felt like reading a bunch of short stories in a row, which is to say, like, a little exhausting. Um, and normal people, I think, perhaps realized that it was running out of things that it had to say in that kind of rushed final, final bit of the book. Um, mm-hmm. I can't think of another tournament where we had two two books that were both so kind of jewel, jewel boxy in their own ways and, and fairly short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The last couple of winners too, and I would include normal people in it. They've, they have all been shorter and, and. Right. Fever simpler. dream station is station 11. Yeah. What? Is the serial killer. Yeah. Why is Optic Nerve a novel? I mean, I want to know, like, what in it that she either, like, couldn't quite say the truth about or what, why, why call it a novel? I, I don't know. Not, if it didn't have, if it didn't have any of the art stuff, it would have been totally unremarkable autofiction. Right. If it were only the art stuff, it would have been insufferable. But the two together made a novel. I don't know. Like, yeah, why was it a novel? It was... I think, actually, have you read, I won't actually pull it off the shelf, have you read um, Guy Davenport's nonfiction writing where he does that same kind of, Jared's smiling because he's also a Davenport fan and also sitting directly next to me. Um, um, uh, um, he, he takes nonfictional events and kind of noodles on them in a fictional but still essayistic manner. And Jared, most of those are actually categorized as fiction, right? Yeah. Um, well, I mean, Karl of Knosgaard calls my struggle fiction as well. I don't know. I, I just think it's, I think the label is interesting because I think a novel is supposed to do something. Like, and I, I'm, I don't know necessarily what that is. Um, and I think, but I think the label means something. And it's interesting that both of these things are essentially novels like that. <laughs> like ultimately, even though they're so different, they're novels. Yeah. I mean, I think with Optic Nerve, there's something about, I've been feeling this way since probably, since I, the tournament brought me to Valeria Lucelli five years ago, four years ago with the story of my teeth and the ways that that has opened the door for me, particularly into south american literature but really any like any literature and translation there's so much happening with um what the artist stories in the style of sudden death yeah like sudden death is another one the the ways in which outside of the english language so many writers just increasingly don't care about that idea of like a novel or it, it's a little more of like fuck i'll call anything anything that I want to call it, mm-hmm. which I think I read an interview with 
um, Maria Gainza, and she was saying that there's there's a I think she said a drip of auto in her fiction, but that idea that so much of that book is not even though there are so many things that are similar, she sees it almost as entirely fictional. Mm-hmm. Huh. You know, Amy is bringing up the second person bits of, of Optic Nerve. And my full disclosure, I finished this book like an hour ago, uh, which is part of why I'm being very vehement about it. I always love the last book I read generally. Uh, but <laughs> the, the way I interpreted the like, changes of perspective just felt like, like, different ways that she needed to view her own experiences in order to process them. Uh, Like kind of, maybe it was easier to view the like kind of weird childhood story that felt almost like she didn't totally have access to it in the Mm -hmm. second person. Um, And then like kind of the only way she could access, you know, the story of this is also Rooster of Hours, so we're allowed to have spoilers insofar as it's a spoiler. Like to talk about the seeing her half brother again and then his death, like so close to each other. Um, it felt very like kind of at the speed of thought, like kind of processing me to me. Um, and, mm-hmm. and I was totally there to like, in the same way that I was totally there to hear her noodle on about any artist for any length of time, I was totally there to hear her like flip from thought to thought about her past. The pregnancy stuff too, she like, and, and the flying stuff, like, like dealing with anxieties and life yeah. changes in ways that I like were kind of new um, in terms of, the like kind of well-trod areas of anxieties and thoughts about motherhood. Those felt like um, what made it a novel too, because those were some of the few things that really carried over idea wise that in her relationship uh, to her brother. Another thing I liked, another thing I think that it was allowed to do because it was a novel was just like have these little like extremely dense nuggets that like it, felt no need to kind of dwell on or explain in the way that I think in nonfiction you might have had to. Um, uh, like two quotes that I, there was one, uh, she, he's talking, uh, she's talking about her half-brother. I don't remember the exact moment his decline began, but I do recall Cyril Con- Connolly's words, whom the gods wish to destroy, first they call promising. Moving on. Uh, <laughs> and just like, there are these, just like, these things that you could, like that could have, that could have been an essay. Like that could have been four pages. Mm-hmm. Um, and she just like keeps going and, and that feels like something you have permission to do in fiction where in nonfiction and particularly in nonfiction that's based in fact, you wouldn't be able to get away with it in the same way. Right. And she does that also that, um, and that man's name, Modigliani. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, which I, I do love anytime because painters in particular are so rarely, um, you know, appreciated in their moment. So I love and that that period for those types of res- revelations. Rothko, of course, I loved all the stuff about Rothko, none of which I knew. Yeah. There were yeah. times when it was a little bit like buckle up thread Twitter, you know, where it's like, <laughs> buckle up, folks. Time to tell you about a guy named Corbet. Um, <laughs> but, it, I, and I think that, again, if it had just been that, I would have been like, fuck this, like, I'll read a Wikipedia entry, like, or I'll, like, actually look at their paintings. But, like, I was kept, you know, like, going back and forth between these modalities. Do you ever wish for an illuminated text? Do you, would you have liked the paintings referred to next to the, or do you like it as just, this is her interpretation, her thoughts about it, I don't need to see it now? Yeah, there was someone in, uh, in their final judgment, one of the judges mentioned that they had, like, paused and, and looked everything up, and that, like, 
maybe it would make you feel a little like either it would make you feel bad about yourself if you didn't recognize them or you feel like you were catching up. And I did wonder that like, you know, in the spirit of the tournament is the fact that I have like a like much higher than average knowledge of and appreciation for art history and contemporary art. Did that make me comfortable being like, I don't know what the fuck she's talking about. Or like, I think I can imagine like, I know El Greco, but I don't know, you know, whoever. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm willing to go along with this. Like is, did I bring to it a generosity that understandably any other reader might not? Um, I, I, um, I did wonder if, if looking them up beforehand or if like Googling, like, I don't know, maybe to find your, your Goodreads or your reading groups uh, post about it or something. Uh, would, I, would it have helped or would it have ruined the magic? Mm. I mean, I did, I did a little bit of after a chapter. If, it, if I didn't know the artist or if I didn't know the work in particular, I did like pause, pull up my phone or pull out my laptop and take a look. And that, I think that also helped me take a breath between sections, mm-hmm. which I really enjoyed. Um, but I mean, it's Christopher. I'm thinking about Sudden Death, a book that I know that you very much didn't enjoy compared to this one. But the two are very similar in terms of the way that they um, they enter, they they present to the reader and expect that the reader has some understanding. Like Nosley, to your point, you came in with some understanding that maybe made it easier to roll through the book. And the book doesn't do anything. It doesn't bring you snapshots it doesn't bring you any context. It's just like, nope, here's what we're doing. Here's a bio of Corbet, and now let's talk about um, my dad. And you're just like, what? And that, um, the, I'm curious, Christopher, about- or, or Point Break, can we talk about the extended oh. Point Break description? That was amazing, wild. Okay, okay but why not, any, t- any other time she names the artist, she names the painting, she talks about the composition of it. This is the one time that she's like, Ah, but I won't say Point Break. Oh, I I just assume that she literally thought of it as trashy TV and, like, possibly didn't know the name. Like, actually possibly didn't know the name. Like, you know, maybe it was poorly dubbed. Maybe it was, you know, like, like, I I guess I assume that that was just, like, like talking about a, like, equivalent to being, like, a Western I saw. Or, like, that it felt sufficiently far away to not deserve a name. Um, Uh, Knowing that it was in translation. I, I do like that. I like that. I like that a little more now. I still think. I, I still think if you sh- if it was trashy television, then they would have been cutting away from it, and being like you know, six minutes until Point Break returns or whatever it is that they do on TV. So I don't know. I but you know it's funny because I was thinking about sudden death while I was reading this, and the one thing that I remembered sudden death did that I was like this book is, I'm I I am having a hard time was. Um, when uh, there was letters to the editor about how hard it was to write the book. And those letters were just like, oh my gosh, eye rolling. I just, it, all it did was take away any veil that he already had punctured a lot. So, and you know, Maria Ganza, the optic nerve does, doesn't do that. Interesting. I mean, I guess it, it comes back to your point though about like what, why is this a novel versus something else? And, and what, what does the subtitle, a novel, tell us? Like, what, what is the author trying to tell us with that? Where, like, Sudden Death, Optic Nerve, Saudade, these books that are a novel, and yet mm-hmm. n- none of them hit us quite like we 
grew up expecting novels to hit us. Well, not like normal people. I mean, we haven't really talked about normal people yet, but maybe that's because there's not a lot to say that hasn't already been said about it. I don't know. But for, for me, what, what a novel meant is that like, if probably most of the things, like many of the things she was saying were true, but like, and if she were David Sedaris, she would have labeled it nonfiction. But like just enough things were made into something convenient. And like, it kind of felt like there were things that felt convenient enough to be fake that it could no longer be called nonfiction. Um, and I was okay with that. Uh, what are, what are, are there examples of novels that do, that do weird shit with nonfiction? I know there are examples. I mean, I, I, like all of the Ben Lerner books. Um, oh, The End of Eddie is great. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, Mrs. Thrift says building stories. Yes. I mean, oh, and yeah. like, I don't know if any of that was nonfiction, but it was still playing crazily with what the idea of a novel is. Mm-hmm. I, rem- I mean, I remember the discussions in the comments around building stories and being like, it's the tournament of books. This is not a book. It's not bound. It's in a box. Um, fun behind the scenes. There were like not enough copies in the world when we needed to send that to people. And I think it's at some point we had to like, at some point we were scared that it was going to make it in the final, I think is what happened. <laughs> and that we'd have to find like, you know, a dozen and a half copies of it. Um, but it did not make it. Uh, because is that the one that was felled for being a comic book by Natasha Vargas Cooper? I think so. Still mad about that. <laughs> <laughs> Neither of the books that people felt like crazy, you know, um, excited about made it. Like I, I heard crazy mm. fans for Lost Children Archive. I heard crazy fans for Nothing to See Here, of which I am now one. Um, I heard crazy fans of Trust Exercise, like really like, but like these two, I mean, I think Drew, you might've been like the loudest normal people fan in the comments. Um, uh, which I don't, I don't know what, I don't know why that is. Or and, and optic nerve was another one that it kept winning, and people are like, "Yeah, what was it about that book?" <laughs> With normal people, I think this this came up around the edges a couple of times. There were a lot of people who just generally were like, "I don't know, I it, the book didn't work for me." In the way that um, that any book attracts its detractors at some point. Mm-hmm. But I think that it also, again, I think a little bit of like where we are in society, that even the relative like happy-go-luckiness of the tournament as a group, there's now a sense that like we're all in the literary world a little bit. And so, sure, there were people who were actively participating in the comments who were like, I had never heard of Sally Rooney before. But because the community, like it's, I mean, it's year 16. There's like, it's a thing and it has opened the path into the literary world for so many of us that I think that there's, it was hard to take that book on its merits. And obviously we can debate whether or not it has those merits, but like it was hard to take that book as anything other than normal people. Yeah, like you saw the beautiful sardines in 2018. (laughs) It's 2019, it's finally arrived. Yeah. And as a result, 
that there's almost no way that anything has ever or could ever live up to the hype that we build for it, you know? Mm-hmm. That's a good point. I mean, it, and gosh, it, is the Hulu series running now? I, I didn't even know that was happening. I, I saw the, um, I saw an ad for it and was sort of so gobsmacked that I completely missed the, the like time of that being adapted. It's just like, did this just come out? Like, that, that was fast. I think it, the first episode starts next week. I think it's going episode by episode, too. I don't think it's a full binge. I think it's the end of the month. Nice. Can't come soon enough. I want to watch sexy people being bad at each other. Did you see the trailer <laughs> that just came out? Yeah. Oh, my God. I haven't yet, actually. It is steamy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Y'all, I unmuted for this because... You're right, Christopher. So much has already been written and talked about for this book, but I cannot help myself from DMing that to every single one of my book club members because it's so steamy. (laughs) (laughs) So actually, there's a question I've been wanting to ask Drew about normal people. So I read the book in, you know, like, I don't know, a very short amount of time. I loved it. I like, you know, saw myself in it. I probably dog-eared and underlined a bunch of stuff. I have no idea where it is in my apartment, despite it being a 20 by 20 foot box. I probably loaned it to someone, but I have no idea. I can't find it. And I can't remember why I like that book. I liked it uh-huh. so much. Today, I could not tell you. Drew Broussard, if you had not written a very long, tiny letter, subject, whatever, almost immediately after writing that book about how much you liked it, would you remember how much you like it today? Is it because you committed in writing very early on um, or do you think you would have been like, I sure like that book. Here are some things I remember about it. Or do you just have a different book memory than I do? And maybe you would have remembered anyway. I think it's honestly a little bit of everything. Um, Cause also like that was, I wrote that uh, newsletter. I, my book club was talking about that book. So I had a lot of time to interact with it, but it also writing. Uh, that's why I started raging biblioholism years and years and years ago and why I was so sad to ultimately give it up and why I've still tried to keep writing little things on Goodreads or why I started a Substack to like write about books more because I think it does help me remember books to to commit something to paper about them even if it's like I don't know this book was was fine period that then even looking at those words again it can help remind me like oh this is why I felt the way that I did like a I, like a, a memory palace like mm-hmm, yeah. mm-hmm. that said i've had i've had this conversation a lot with people who did like the book and who are then like oh yeah i don't know why did i like that book like it was fine and i've sort of moved on and for me it's still it resonates like the chimes are still ringing out and the the ripples are still moving inside of me about that book i think just comes down to it capturing for it capturing me at a moment when I was most receptive to the things that it it did really well for me, which was just capturing two young, stupid people. So young, so stupid. So young, so stupid. And at a moment when I was doing a lot of like, wow, I'm not quite young anymore. It was like right when you were quitting your job and getting married and like. Yeah, I was just like, there was a lot um and i've i've been thinking 
very, very, very vaguely about a writing project that I want to do that, that is thinking about and looking at the person who I was around that time, like senior year of high school and the, the things that happened in my senior year of high school that led me to be who I am now. Like mm -hmm. I was just doing a lot of that looking back. Um, and I thought that Sally Rooney just treated, it's like Helen Rosner said in her judgment, she treated them with such generosity. Mm -hmm. I was like, wow, I, I hope I can treat myself with that generosity. Or I hope that other people can treat young people with that kind of generosity. Except for, not to pick on you, Dog LB, the thought of having to spend more time with those people and by the transitive property with Drew's past makes them <laughs> want to weep. I'm I just, mean, I'm just poking. Absolutely. No, it's, it is very true too, though. It's the thing that if that, if the book isn't speaking to your slice of life, whatever that might mean, then you, of course you're going to sit there and be like, Oh, these people. Um, the writing felt un unremarkable, but the ideas expressed in the writing, this is kind of a stupid thing to say. The ideas expressed in the writing exactly describe things in simple words that I have felt. And that felt revelatory even if it didn't feel elevated. Um, mm. But Christopher, like did, you, did you like I didn't think people? It's, no. Okay. <laughs> I, I, I didn't care for it. Um, I thought it was fine. It, it's one of these books that um, the more praise that I hear about it, the more it makes me a little um, mad at the industrial complex of literature. And like, then I have more negative feelings about the book because it's all swirled around it. Um, but, you know, I, th I think, it, it's just more like it's just not for me um and and that's fine not all books have to be for everybody um did you read this piece in the baffler called i'm not feeling good at all about um like all of all of the books um you two can have a body like mine my year of restroom relaxation severance um that hallie butler novel the new me mm -hmm. and how they all feature this kind of like detached woman as the center of the novel who's like well, I suppose my life is happening to me. Um, I'll drop it in the thing. I feel yes. like normal people is kind of of, of, that, of that ilk. Um, and I think, I think you're, I think it is, but it, it's just not as weird as those. Um, all of those have a lot more weird detail that I think, I don't think normal people has. Huh. That's, I wonder if that makes it more, not more palatable because Normal People has been a bigger hit than any of those books. Yep. But in, in a weird way, the weirdness of those other books allows for more nuance and more interpretation, I think. And, and you can sort of, I'm, I just clicked on the link and I'm looking like Alex Kleeman's book has so much weirdness about it. Catherine Lacey's book, you can, you can project so many different things into that book. Whereas normal people was kind of like, here are these people. There's, there's no weirdness about it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I, I'm, you know, as I look at this list, like Christopher, I know that you like all of these books, but you don't like normal people. It's not that I, it's just, it just was like, the no was a little too quick. I just didn't, it's just, it was just a book, you know, it was just mm -hmm. like, if we weren't talking about it now, if it wasn't in the national conversation still and in the book world conversation still, I wouldn't, I wouldn't have thought about it again after we read, I read it. Right. And so like, in, in, it's just unremarkable. Um, and so that it, it winning um, is, 
make, I don't know, it sort of also makes a weird amount of sense to me because like it fit, it's, it fits so many people's like, oh, that's, yeah, like the, I, I wanted a feeling like that from a book. Mm-hmm. Now, that, now that I brought that article up, like an obvious difference is that there are two perspectives in normal people. Mm-hmm. Would we feel differently about perhaps the book or about what it's doing, which is like, I don't know, dep- like the kind of depressed, detached girl present in some of these other books, but then also a, a, a man's perspective. Would it have been different if it had been just Marianne? Oh yeah, Erica Sanborn. Opinions of Connell would be completely different. Yeah, if we only had Marianne's point of view, yeah, I think it would it would certainly not have gotten as wide a readership, I think, because it would have been a more interior, more singular reading experience. But I do wonder if it would have, um, yeah, how it would have struck people differently. You know, maybe it's that lack of interiority that made it the mirror that it ended up being. I was able to project all the interiority I needed onto the things that I was seeing that were very kind of like, like relatable to me. And maybe if you weren't, you would be like, who are these horrible ciphers who are making bad decisions? I'm very bored at them and I don't understand their motivations. Cause they're right. pretty, they're pretty flat. Like you, you get the, you know, you get the occasional sentence of, of Marianne, like kind of realizing something about herself or whatever, but there's not a ton of interiority. I think that's a great thing to point out about it. Right. I was trying to think of like how this year was different than last year's um, and then looking back at last year's championship and it's just so different. I don't know, like this year, it's, it's wild to me that the tournament starts in um, December of, or like earlier in 2020 the year before, because like, it feels like such you, a mirror to now of how, of how people are feeling. And maybe that's because the final is closer in, but. Yeah, the final, people send in their final decisions like first or second week of March usually. So I, I, I just like looking back and just like, wait, Warlight? Talk about a book I haven't thought about since probably March 31st, 2019. <laughs> Would not have been able to tell you what the book up against my sister, the serial killer was. Uh, that's, what, that's so crazy. Um, and I don't think that will be true. I, I wonder if that will be true for a lot of people of Optic Nerve. Um, if, mm. if, if it also goes the way of, of other championships that don't, um, the, where the, the one that got bested also is forgotten by literature at large in some way. I mean, I guess <laughs> Linda Bardo the year before um, isn't that forgotten. <laughs> yeah. Is that being made into anything? Uh, Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally own the rights. I, that was the last that I heard about it. I, and I've been yeah, on record in the podcast before saying it needs to be a um, crit claymation movie or like a claymation adaptation of Lincoln and the Bardo. It's the only way that it'll work. That does seem fitting. <laughs> you should write yeah, that I mean, a letter. What's Henry Selleck doing right uh, now? Audio book? Appropriately like... creepy. <laughs> what, what were you saying about the audiobook? Oh, I was asking Christopher if he listened to the audiobook of Lincoln and the Bardo. That's partially why I think it'd be such a good claimation. It's all of those different voices. Yeah, um, I agree. 
I mean, we could spend our remaining time workshopping this idea that we're going to. I feel like uh, if if there should be a counter uh, super rooster like the the where it's the all of the um, losers in the championships against Ooh. each other. <laughs> That's actually going to be a thing. Oh, really? What? Yeah. Oh. So um, that's how the zombies are going to work in the super rooster. Cool. So Whoa. because we're not going to have like zombie voting or anything, what's going to happen is, you know, when normal people enters the super rooster championship, um, if that's, if that happens, then um, it'll face its zombie is going to be optic nerve. That's oh. amazing. Ooh. Wow. <laughs> That's metal as hell. <laughs> that was that's one gonna of make so parts. many people mad. That's, I mean, I guess that's kind of the ulterior motive of the zombie, isn't it? It's yeah. Zombies, zombies do make mad. people really mad. Um, that also reminds me of, um, Andrew, do you remember like years ago, Matt Robison was gonna have, and maybe wrote a couple editions of a column that was like, the National Book Award winner that we no longer read. I don't know, I think he like picked a decade and he was gonna read all the NBA winners from like 1960 to 1970 or something. And it was these novels that like had aged poorly or were weird or mm -hmm. like just felt really minor now. Did we publish um, it? Was it on the site? It's somewhere, I think it was on the site. At least I remember talking to him about it at least several times at, at Morning News Drinks. And I think he might've written it at some yeah, point. Yeah, there were but... a lot of ideas that came up at those. <laughs> <laughs> I did want to mention something about the um, the style and the uh, the craft of normal people. The thing it reminds me mo the most of is um, Kent Haruf. You know how he says like it takes a yeah. lot, a lot, a lot of work to write these simple sentences and to get it down to the size that he's got it at. So normal people seems to me like that's what she does, but we see the work. Mm -hmm. um, and in a lot of ways, there's similar like simple stories two central people, the other people are kind of assholes or don't get enough time in the limelight. There's too much sex in normal people and there's not enough sex in um, our, our souls at night. Our souls at uh -huh. night. But, but they just like, they play off each other well. Like I don't, I liked both books. I don't love either book. And I think some of it is that craft, like there's, there's interiority, but there, I don't get, close enough to it because I also feel the work or something. Ken Haruf, I think, has written a, like a weird number, like a ton of books, right? Mm -hmm. Well, see, so he started writing really late, though. That's so what he's, Again, he's kind of the opposite of her. And then he had just passed away when we read Or Souls at Night in the tournament. Yeah. Um, so like, I think he had, he just started writing about 20 years ago and he was in the 60s maybe when he passed. Um, so started publishing in his 40s. Ish. And I, I went to a book reading of his first book, um, Plain Song. And so, yeah, I mean, they're just like, they're opposites in so many ways. He's Midwestern. She's, you know, Dublin, um, middle class <laughs> cityite. Um, he started late. She started super young. Um, they both work really hard at this stuff. I think he's more open to admitting it, whereas she's like, Oh, it's, you know, it's easy. It just happens <laughs> like her characters. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think, you know, they're very white. 
Um, but they're also very recognizable for the experiences that people are having and the relationship problems that people have and the way sometimes people worry about what other people think about their relationships. The, the language thing is interesting because like normal people, I liked it. It's, but it's, it's also a sophomore novel that felt like it like needed to come out to solidify Rooney's status as a person who gets competing profiles when her books come out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I, want, I found myself wondering, even when I was reading it, that like, what parts of this come from little notes that you had scribbled for yourself that you're like repurposing now? And what parts of this are truly new that didn't exist until you sat down to write your second book? Um, Were you aware and, of this sort of craft of it, really, like in the, in your, during your first read of it? I, I think because- Is that how you think about books? It's not how I think about books, but the particular, like there are so many themes in normal people that feel like they have been a little, like have been a little zeitgeisty in recent years. Um, women and bodies and what we do or don't want to have happen with them. Um, it's right here, so I'm going to pull it up. One of my best friends, Miranda Popke's uh, first novel, Topics of Conversation, which came out in yeah. um, January, also is a lot of that. Like, do I want someone to tell me what to do? Do I want to admit that that's what I want? Um, that it had just enough of that. And that was something that I spent just enough time reading about or thinking about or talking about with friends that I was like, like, I don't think that you wrote this when you sat down in your Word document today, but like how, how, like, to what extent was this from a short story that you've been working on or something? And to what extent is it totally new? Hmm. I like that idea that like normal people is the, the sophomore book that has to come out in order for the rest of what she's going to do to happen. I like, I'm a, I love sophomore records for whatever reason, like so many sophomore records that people ultimately they're like, it's not the big smash hit. And it's not like the later critically acclaimed work. It's that weird, awkward, oh shit, I'm a little more famous than I was before. And I have to make this record in 18 months. And, and the ways in which like, a second anything is almost always going to be like the toughest version of what you make. And I, I don't know. I I'm excited to look back at Sally Rooney's entire shelf of books, you know, 50, 60 years from now and be like, how, how does that book fit in? Mm -hmm. You know? That's interesting. We don't have to stay here for too long, but that made me think of one of my very favorite authors of all time, Laurie Colin. Pretty, pretty minor author in, in the scheme of things. The thing that she, she died very young. She died at, I think, 45 or so. Um, the things she's most known for now are her food essays. Um, she wrote two books about home cooking. Um, but she wrote like eight or nine, like maybe six or seven novels and a couple volumes of short stories that mm. are absolutely never talked about anymore. And they're just these extremely delightful stories about um, like sex and relationships that feel extremely of their time, which is to say like the late eighties and early nineties in New York city. Um, and I fucking love them. And I bet that when they came out that the people who were reading them like called up their friends and were like, have you read the new Laurie Colwyn? Like, I can't believe the thing happened. Hmm. And some of it is a little juicy. Like the, the, one of the best known is about an actual affair that happened at FSG. Um, and oh. like, 
we don't talk about them anymore. Like no one reads these books. Um, right. pe most people don't even think of her as a novelist. And if that is true of Sally Rooney, I think she will have had a great life. And I think that's a cool, that's a cool place for your novel to go. If you write like, uh, like exquisite little books that describe the way that sexual relationships work at the time and people mm -hmm. talk about them a lot. And maybe in two years, they don't talk about them that much. Um, that can be, that can be a novel as much as like weird art history facts and your family can be a novel. Yeah. We're, um, I've never read any Laurie Colwin. Where should a person start? Um, God, Jared, where do I, where are the Colwin books? I feel like they're too, up too high. Okay. I'm going to try to stand up so I can have my headphones connect and look at the spot where they are. My favorite is happy all the time. Definitely. Okay. Um, what's the, a big storm knocked it over is a very good short story collection. Um, which is the one with the FSG? I think that's happy all the time, but I will confirm. The Lone Pilgrim is also good for short stories. Um, Shine on Bright and Dangerous Object is also, if I remember correctly, this, look at this cover. That is a cover. <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, that's my plug for Lori Colwin, and that's my plug for novels that are just novels. That book cover yeah. made me think of um, George McFly's book. Yeah. What's that? The, Back to the, the Future. Oh, oh, sorry. I'm a weirdo with gaps in my uh, pop culture. Uh, Never okay. actually uh, seen Back to the Future. My wife just took me to task earlier today for making references to explain a thing. There's a great line in um, New Waves that just came out and she was reading it and she was like, you do this, where the main character makes an analogy and then has to spend like two more pages explaining the analogy. And the person mm. he's talking to is like, a metaphor is supposed to make the thing clearer. And he's like, it's <laughs> not my fault. You didn't know what I was talking about. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, love, I love this idea. And I bet you there's like so many writers who are, you know, that are mid-list authors who have this story, this Laurie Colwin story. story. Um, and I want to know the whole list of them because I bet you there's a lot of gems in there. I feel like a New York Review of Books is good at finding these authors and bringing them out to the forefront again. Yeah, yeah totally. for sure. Um, Elaine Dundee, the dud avocado feels like. Oh yeah. Elaine Dundee is like who I'm thinking of for sure when I'm, uh, totally. for this. Uh, I'm sure what's, uh, Babbitts, um, Eve Babbitts is the same. Mm-hmm, totally. There is something I've been wanting to ask the two of you and people at large, which is um, as we go into Super Rooster season, are there books that you never read or feel like you need to reread or are terrified of rereading? <laughs> Well, we can plug a future episode of the show because mm -hmm. uh, I haven't read The Accidental by Ali Smith. And we're going to talk about that. Cool. Um, and I, I, don't know, I don't know what happened in my brain to make me think like, I'm not going to like that Hilary Mantel book. Um, so I've never read Wolf Hall and I've been like obstinate about like, not reading it for some reason. Um, so I guess I have to read it now. Well, when you read it and love it, you'll be lucky that they're all out now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'll be nice. 
Um, <laughs> Andrew's Andrew's note about uh, the needing to take a look at the second place winners has made me feel a little less secure because I I think it was um I, when I finally read a mercy like th- three years ago that was and then I was caught up and I've been caught up and I felt good about that um I do want to reread the accidental because I hated it fucking loathed it the first time I read it and then I started reading Ali Smith's seasonal quartet and was like oh I think I get Ali Smith now so I'm excited I'm excited to revisit that did you read it sufficiently long ago that you feel like you're a different person now oh yeah i don't remember i don't remember shit about it um I 14 a- years is a long time oh yes okay so you read it like you know the year i mean i graduated high school in 2006 no i read it um i read it more recently than that 2011 so also a long time ago that's a long ass time i'm uh, i'm excited to read read cloud atlas which i also haven't read um, I haven't read it me. because I read another book called Cloud Atlas that came out around the same time. I remember you telling <laughs> me that. Um, so maybe I'll maybe that's the one I will make a point of picking up. We still don't know which one we're gonna put in the tournament. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're you're vague in your list. It could be any of them. <laughs> you should like like leave it to chance and just like order it from somewhere where it seems kind of, like they don't have a picture of the cover. that's yeah that's how a lot of these are so getting the books to everybody it's been it's been very affordable (laughs) right Right. oh yeah it's i'm thinking that we need to release the we need to let people know about that zombie thing probably because that's gonna yeah i mean we want to make sure that people have time to read and probably need to release that bracket pretty soon too i don't think Hell anyone yeah. is unhappy at this news okay just, i just opened a bunch of tabs and i'm gonna read off the second place winners because i could not have told you what they were oh yeah i have them too i went i was during our conversation pulling them up right. can somebody send me those because i'm gonna need it <laughs> i will send them to you <laughs> okay 2005 the plot against america by philip Roth. that's gonna be fucking weird if it makes it in on <laughs> hbo now yeah more adaptations yeah um, 2006, The Year of Dale Peck, um, Homeland by, who wrote that? Sam Lipsight. By Sam Lipsight. Yeah. 2007, Absurdistan by Gary Steingart. I totally forgot about that novel. 2008, Remainder by Tom McCarthy. Oh, so good. 2009, City of Refuge by Tom Piazza. No idea. 2010, The Lacuna. I forgot about that. By Barbara Kingsolver. Mm-hmm. Oh, right. Yeah. 2011, Freedom, Jonathan Franzen, of course. Mm. A book I just don't think about. Can you imagine if that book had won as we're talking about, like, the books that win things that then we stop talking about? <laughs> I mean, it's, it, it gets a shout-out on Parks and Recreation. Um, <laughs> and it's, like, so funny, like, that it was, that's how big of a book it, could, it really was at the time. Yeah. 2011, Open City by Teju Cole. That's a book that deserved more than it got. 2013, yeah. The Fault in Our Stars by John Green. Also uh, should have won. Docked by yeah. so many people who were like, oh, YA. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> a book for children. Children don't have thoughts. I'm not a child. Look, I own a car. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 2014, 
Life After Life by Kate Atkinson. Oh, yeah. Um, 2015, All the Light We Cannot See by Tony Doerr. 2016, The Turner House by Angela Flournoy. Oh, Another yeah. person who I feel like, I wonder, I mean, she's going to have an amazing career. Um, like, will, will the Turner House, well, where will we talk about the Turner House in her list of, of the books she's written um, several books from now? People love that book. Those judgments were really effusive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, Homegoing by Yagyasi in 2017. Warlight. Last well, should have won. <laughs> so what a list. I was, I was, a, I was a homegoing stand that year. That's, I mean, when you look at that list, that list could easily be the winner's list. Like it's the same perfect blend of of like big smash hit Titanic books and weird little books that, you know, nobody had previously heard of. I still think a sister's brothers, the sister's brothers is like the, the example 2012. That's the year that like, I think um, I was following the tournament in earnest and it was also the year that it was like completely insane. Like it was just like, was- how did that work? The books were also wild. Lightning Rods. Lightning Rods. Which I will defend that book. That book is so weird. Swamplandia. Swamplandia. Wow. Oh yeah, and 2012 was the year that nothing won the Pulitzer because there was no there was no good fiction, I guess. <laughs> Such a bummer when that happens. You yeah. know? <laughs> Should have just canceled the tournament altogether. Sorry. Well, we no books. I was just looking back at the remainder decision and it got four votes in the final. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was one of them. I love that book so much. I love that book too. Oh my God, it blew my mind. I'm looking forward to in 240 years when there's the super mega rooster. Uh-huh. <laughs> the, rooster the roosters can fight each other. Anybody well, catch my joke about super rooster too? was yeah i think i I made rosecrans bar when i did that (laughs) it's like we need to call it super rooster one Uh (laughs) part in the tradition exactly you got to set up the franchise Uh, yeah i know right you just it's got to be scalable (laughs) i mean there was that george saunders thing you know he did like that commencement a couple of years ago remember that and i think it was in wasn't it printed in like the new york times or something and he had this line in it that I think about all the time. And he's like, you know, something like in 40 years when all of you are, you know, are 60, you know, 62 years old and I'm 124 or something like that. And um, I got to find that. It just always cracks me up. I love that guy. So, <laughs> he had good a good news story in the New Yorker today. Did he? <laughs> <laughs> Um, uh, all right, friends, I have to I have to run to rehearsal, which is the most trust exercise way I could leave this conversation, but it's true. Is it is does rehearsal mean like going into a different video? I'm going into way? another Zoom that will probably okay. be as this big, but everybody's speaking Shakespeare. Oh, cool. Yeah, I'm really excited to go go to one of those, Drew. Thanks for emailing about it. Oh yeah. Um, all right. Well, thanks y'all for doing this all month. Um, I personally have had much better Sundays for it. Um, and it's been so good to have y'all come and unmute 
and uh, talk in the chat. Um, so thank you. And thank you to Drew and Christopher again and to Andrew. Um, and see you when the tournament is back for uh, Summer TOB. If not Woo! sooner, who knows? Maybe we'll be Thanks outside. It's so nice. Love everybody. Thanks, everybody. Sweet. Thank Bye, y'all. For-